You're welcome along to World and Union, Paul Zully's weekly rugby show with me, Mick McCarthy, alongside Morris Brosnan. Our second show this week, even though it's technically a weekly show, we had to have an emergency podcast on Saturday morning, Morris. We were... I listened back to that and I thought there was a little bit of anger in the air, I have to say. I've calmed down a lot, have you? I don't think so. I actually probably <laughs> You've got worse? worse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think I feel worse. I just don't think... I, I think I realise that there's, you know, there's a, a world outside of the Rugby World Cup that, <laughs> you know, it's like I've got a family and friends <laughs> and... You know, I have to. I still have to go to work in the morning, and there's different things. Whereas on Saturday, I don't think I could. I, I don't think I could disassociate myself from the sport. Yeah, like uh, you're worse. You've rewatched the match, I, I, and now you're reliving it. Yeah, I, it's like post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, I, I think I after rewatching the match, I'm more critical of Ireland, less complimentary of. Japan, Japan, and more crit- and less critical of the referee as well. I think it's every possible. So I've it got significantly worse after Saturday. The last two days have been rough. Right. Okay. That's interesting. Well, I'm not afraid to to criticize Ireland. I think that you might be going down a completely novel and unique route to take away the credit from Japan. Everybody knows we're not allowed to do that under any circumstances. All credit must be given to Japan at all times. Uh, you're, I'll let you. I'll let you address that. But I do want to also mention what we've got coming up on the show today because we will relive uh, I suppose for want of a better word the Ireland-Japan game and we'll look ahead to what Ireland can salvage or will salvage or if there's any salvation at all to come obviously with Russia on Thursday but uh, on from that as well we look at the Rugby World Cup in general we look at the performance performances as we kind of hinted at on Saturday of the referees uh, in the tournament so far but probably best of all we're going to speak to uh, James Collin people remember James Collin as a, a, a great monster number eight who went over to France at the end of his career we had him on the show last year he was an academy coach at Poe he is now forwards coach at Provence is yeah. that right uh, so he's kind of stepped up there so I'm looking forward to catching up with him a very wide brief at Provence looking after forwards lineouts, attack exit so they've got a, a smaller coaching ticket there than they would have not just naturally at bigger clubs and yeah. therefore he's responsible for more which is a great experience for an Irish coach abroad but it's, it's also as I can imagine it's pretty daunting to have so much on your plate to be responsible for so much of a game like it's the it's basically just one step below being a head coach which mm. he actually said to us at, uh, speaking last year that it was his ultimate goal yeah and obviously uh, yeah not too far off those do, do a good job here and you're on the road to it uh you're going to talk to him a little bit as well about kind of what coaches pick up from watching the World Cup. We are talking on Saturday about how maybe the game is left behind Ireland. Probably a knee-jerk reaction. I'll get into that more with you in a few minutes. But the game does move and World Cups are always indicators of exactly where the game is. So I think coaches watching this will see, right, this is where we need to improve. This is what we're going to be facing next year. And maybe take a hint or two as to what they can innovate themselves. Exactly, yeah. I think it, like the, one of the most interesting conversations I've had in this podcast was with Ian Costello last year, who's the Wasps skills defense coach, and talked to us about what he took from watching the Six Nations. Like, I think a coach is always going to be watching rugby with their coaching hat on because they're just constantly on, constantly thinking that way. And it's only natural that, therefore, they might adapt something that they see or I mean, maybe they're more critical of what they see like suddenly they see why are they defending that way why are they attacking that mm. way what should they be doing differently and it's just inevitable that they will have a different take on the game than 
the rest of us because they're constantly on and so I think James demonstrated last time we spoke to him as well that he definitely was kind of conscious of global trends and how the game is going and I think he'll have something very interesting to say on that later on definitely we'll talk to him in a few minutes um, towards the end of the show we'll just kind of relive our uh, World Cup pain first so you have rewatched the game you've told me you're more critical of Ireland less critical or less in praise of Japan and probably less critical of the referee what I suppose the most basic obvious question I can ask in the world but you might have a better answer than we would have had before is what went wrong for Ireland why did we have our worst ever World Cup performance when we really just needed to I don't know why you just needed to kind of play what was in front of us and go and beat a much inferior a a, a vastly inferior team it's funny like (laughs) You watch games like this, like narratives kind of develop in hindsight. That's just the way, uh, that's human nature. So they, we kind of take certain stock out of, and I think it's funny, right? Because of the way that this just, uh, this is just a coincidence. I wouldn't normally do this, but because of the way the last kind of couple of days have gone, I've actually watched this game back on RTITV and Air Sport. And you get very different narratives by doing that. Like you, you, your take on the game, and it really does influence you. Like that's why I kind of, I, it's been stressed to me in the past, if you're going to analyze a game, watch it without commentary. And I kind of, this was a real testament to that. And like I, I was kind of tongue in cheek saying I wouldn't be as complimentary of Japan, but like I do think Ireland played so much into their hands so often. Like I, I their defense, you, you know, you, you two centers or certain players shooting up and kind of passive wingers holding back a bit more than we would have traditionally seen. And this, this is a team that wanted it to go wide, so I couldn't get over the amount of times that Japan were able to get five passes off a rook, like five passes. Like I remember watching the Wales game and Ireland were lucky to get two, like mm. two passes, and Wales were up on top of you. Like the amount, if to be able to get five passes, and that is like to be ambitious enough to do that is impressive and you give them stock for that but at the same time you're massively critical of any team that lets any team yeah. in rugby get five passes off but even Scotland didn't let us do that you know and, yeah. and think about how much Ireland dominated and I mentioned these stats I can't even remember was it? I think it might have been on the show with Brent that after the two scrum halves Rory Best had the most passes in eight and the out half Johnny Sexton who played for the 55 minutes had four passes which meant and I don't think you know which meant exactly. that Ireland were just going forward rook forward rook forward rook. Off, we didn't runner, have yeah. the ability to go wide whenever we wanted that's kind of gone from the game in general at the moment but Ireland just let Japan do it whenever they wanted so to my mind the way Ireland play normally has you know it stood them in good stead they play they and we've said this before they rely on the defence as a tactic they don't actually want to play too much rugby between the, the 222s basically if they can like that's why they're constantly box kicking the ball that's why they're putting 14 men to the defensive line Rob Carney covering the backfield because they're really really well disciplined really really well coached in their defensive setup and so they are more than happy to give up possession constantly the reason that I don't think that works at this World Cup is there's a couple of different reasons but one of the main one is that the, every available advantage now lends itself towards the attacking team particularly on Saturday so you've got a situation where defence is draining like it's really hard to make tackles mm. over and over again and in those conditions especially defence is particularly draining you've got a this is where the referee comes into it you've got a referee who isn't is no way inclined he lends himself towards the attacking team so he's like and he saw this with his policing of Peter Matney especially he, like he he's adamant that unless your jackal is textbook pin perfect he's going to penalize you for it and because he's so adamant and he's so detailed on watching jacklers or watching the defending team he's actually playing no real heed to the attacking team so you've some 
Like, frankly, we talked last year about this plan, this p- p- proposed plan to ban jacklers from the game and why that would be a detriment. If the breakdown is going to be refereed like this for the rest of the year, they should just ban jackling because there's no point in it. If you've got people flying in off their feet, no sort of due regard for the gate, um, all that kind of stuff. Now, that was for both teams. I mean, I, th- I thought... and like So you get situations where Josh van der Florey gets pinned in the uh, just for half time for, for not rolling away. yeah and he penalizes that straight away he's on the defending team there simultaneously Thompson Luke Thompson got pinged just before Ireland's second try and CJ Tanner is pinning him with his knee like it's and it's pretty blatant again it's I mean you can call it clever or you know cynical whatever you want to call it but the fact that referees are just every single available advantage is towards the attacking team and yes possession was fit 50-50 and you got a a kicking game especially which is kind of like in, at times actually like, kind of schoolboy stuff like you you got a situation where Ireland I actually remember you cited this at the time there was the Peter Mahoney kick down the corner Earls runs up chases down Matsushima pick, uh, collects the ball inside his own 22 decides to run it back Earls misses on a scramble Peter Mahoney misses him on a scramble he runs the ball back uh, is isolated so kicks deep Ireland get the ball back again go through two phases Jack Carty kicks a kick it doesn't go out of play to nobody yeah it just lands into the 22 into the 22 yeah. is caught clean in the 22 yeah. so they could have a perfect chance to exit or a perfect chance to attack they decide to go through two phases then and this is I mean the difference between intent they kick a box kick with the purpose of their box kick is to retain possession so they put up a box kick win the ball back that's Jack Arty maybe he's taken out in the air but it was a contestable kick at the time from that, uh, Peter Matney and Conor Murray are pinged for a penalty. They get a shot at goal. Peter Matney has to be taken off because Gardner goes over to Best and says, if he does this again, he's gone. So, they, and I mean, that's just like, for all the praise you want to give to Japan, that was so glaring as an error. Like, it's really... A few errors. Yeah, in, yeah. in quick succession and kind of shows a total lack of adaptability and in-game intelligence. All the stuff that you'd want to see from an Irish States. And I, the reason that I'm kind of conscious of this is because I don't know how much that you can correct in a short space of time. Like, I, like And I think, I, going back to it again, the reason that like there's fine margin this, I think a lot of that comes back to your... I was kind of critical, as some people have pulled me on, on online about the player as well, I was critical of the halfbacks. And I actually would be as critical still after watching that because so much of that is down to what your halfbacks are doing. And like, particularly... Like if you if you got a situation, for example, where you know Andrew um, Angus Garner is going to be so hypercritical of your breakdown, so he's like he says to Peter Matney, very first thing he does after two minutes, his first communication with a player is Rory Best. He screams Rory Best, hands off, and Rory Best actually does, and he says good. Then he pings Peter Matney for a, fail, a jackal for his elbows on the floor. It was definitely a penalty. Pings him for that straight away. In response to that, next thing that happens, Peter Matney wins a penalty for a jackal. And even still, he's won a penalty, but the referee's still going to talk to Peter Matney. He says, that's exactly the picture that I need, need to see. Now, to my mind, that's saying your jackal needs to be absolutely perfect. When I say that, I mean you're sporting your body weight, you're in before the ruck is formed, or I'm going to ping you first. That's just, it's just the way I am. And so he set up his stall early on. And that's why like, they knew... All you would really ask uh, from referees is at least be consistent. And so they knew that he was going to be consistent on this. He was going to hammer them on this. And you'd Murray going in for a jackal. Like, uh, a jackal that I think t- technically was quite a poor. And his hands, first thing they did was hit the ground. And he concedes the penalty there. Peter Mahoney again tried it. Again, technically unsound. And there's other ways to compete at a breakdown. Like The, the one that strikes me was, do you remember when... Uh, Kilcoyne came on and the first thing he did was he just dunted uh, a rook and hit the number 8 back into yeah the just a bit of counter rook a good old fashioned counter rook yeah. yeah there's alternatives that I don't know why they didn't 
demonstrate that kind of adaptability in game which i again i just find that stuff kind of kind of glaring really and the, like, it, i i understand like uh world rugby has since come out supposedly josh Smith has said that um according to him he said we were penalized for offside four times and now we've got the feedback that three of those calls were incorrect calls so off the top of my head i think that was probably the cj standard one when peter matney actually said to me and he said no you were fine number eight mm. the first the penalty uh half, they actually missed that penalty um, I'd say it was probably talking about the Ty Byrne one but at the same time like I can understand why Ty Byrne is pinged for that because even if you're not offside if you kind of fall forward and then hold up your hands like looking guilty do you know what I mean? like you, you hold up your hands and say, I'm not offside but you've already it puts the picture in either a, a assistant referee's or a referee's head and they're, they're only like in a split second they might react to that like it, I, I just thought that was a small bit of naivety that you, you know it looks it looks way glaring if you've got a player shooting up out of the line and nobody beside him because suddenly he's like well how is he so far ahead of everybody yeah. else so if Josh van der Flyer is right to come up with good line speed but everybody else is coming soft it looks like they're more <laughs> offside because just it's just you're giving, a, you're giving the wrong picture to a referee and I, I think they didn't play the referee let's end with the referee here but the gripe that I had watching live and I'd be interested to know whether it, 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 it you know was a one of those things that you see in the moment or whether it actually can be uh, backed up by rewatching the game was that it did seem to me that there was a, you know, maybe he was more for the attacking team, but it seemed to me that Japan were getting a lot of warnings to stay off a ball or not to stay off, whereas Ireland were just being pinged immediately. Yeah, that was irritating. And that, yeah. was, that was literally a one side was being treated differently than another, which again, Ireland lost to Japan. The, we were 22-point favourites for the game. The weather is one aspect of it, the heat, and a referee might be another. And Ireland should still win the game and have no excuses. Maybe they win by less. You know, so I don't think that I, I'm really, really, really want to emphasize that I'm not making excuses here. I do just want to address it though, because I think that is my biggest gripe with refereeing is that it, it, you can't be refere- you can't even say, oh, look, they're not as good as you, so I'm not going to referee them the same. Because that's not how you do sport. And there was a good few times I thought that, I thought that. Japan's offside line was very different than Ireland's you know when remember when Ireland had the chance in fairness they were three points down had the chance to score a try eventually rightly gave away a penalty to Japan under under the, their own posts James and Ryan they cleared it trace, yeah. you know so there was nothing wrong with that decision but up before that as Ireland were picking and going Japan were a yard yard and a half offside it's something we've seen a lot in this World Cup in general but I just didn't think Ireland got away we saw it in Wales and Australia in the last 10 10 15 minutes the day after but you know i think that i think that that was something that bothered me at the time and i do think as you kind of suggested it has borne out by rewatching it as well like the, the, the one that actually so like uh, certain stuff uh, i would kind of critical i'd be very critical of the as i already already have been of the policing around the clear out so i think michael leach got away with a scandalous one on rob carney about a minute after he came off now it was an amazing play like the it was him uh, a line out that was lost he looped around the back got on to attack actually managed to throw an offload and the off the attacker he threw the offload to he hit that rook he bounced up so quickly and hit that rook but the way he hit that rook he was like came in like a missile totally off it's the same stuff that we've been talking about on this podcast for six months now about the lack of policing around clear outs uh, uh, a rook thought that one was glaring but I also thought uh, try, uh, there was a tight furlong one in the second half which was pretty glaring as well and again like, at least he's consistent even if the policing in the rule is terrible the on the inconsistent calls the one that actually stood out to me most wasn't funnily enough the offside line like I I don't know if Japan were as infringed. I thought m- maybe that, particularly that now that we know it's the assistant referee who called two of those for Ireland, that maybe the referee is just relying on somebody else. In sure, those okay, that's a fair point. And, yeah. uh, but the one that I did think I'd be very critical of was 
for the Conor Murray penalty that he can see is under his, the six when he try this jackal that I'm talking about. Like his hands hit the deck first, and uh, the referee calls leave at nine, and Murray does. He pulls his hands away and he pings him anyway. Yeah. He gives a penalty. Now, Why call it if you're going to do it? There was a uh, period in now. So either you you you're like Wayne Barnes actually is very good for this. He communicates constantly, kind of not coaching but just telling don't 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 or I'm going to ping you for it. And so in that scenario. He clearly was saying, I'm going to ping you for it anyway, I'm going to tell you for it. And if that's what you're going to do for the rest of the game, fair enough. But then there's a scenario in the second half when Conor Murray is literally impeded by, so he's screaming, seven, leave it, seven, leave it. Garner is screaming. And Murray has already been impeded and seven is offside. Now he doesn't go for the ball, he pulls out and gets out of the way. But he has infringed. Like he, the, the foul has already occurred while mm. he's telling him to stop. And then, but he doesn't do anything about it because seven doesn't go and reach the ball. Like it's, it feels like there was a higher threshold there for a penalty than yeah. there might have been on the other side. Of the ball. I suppose that's exactly my point is like you can't, like I, I'd imagine it's not out of Angus Gardner like hating Ireland or wanting Japan to win but you do get the impression as the home team there's an upset on here they can't possibly be held to the same standard as a big professional team like Ireland you know and we do see we see it the other way with like the All Blacks and stuff a lot but I think it's just I'm trying to take my Ireland hat off here and say how just annoying that is as a general referee trend rather than anything to do with Ireland losing a game which we were frankly shocking in as you've laid out so one of the other questions I'd have to ask you let's move on from the referee completely and you know, one of the other questions I'd have to ask from, you know, you mentioned the Keith Earls missing the tackle from the winger after the, or, or was it O'Matney? Earls the, chase and then O'Matney actually missed along the sideline. He ran, he, he beat him. The, this was a brilliant attack and uh, it was a brilliant kick actually true from O'Matney, a good chase from Earls. And then he'd picked up the ball basically on the sideline. It was going to be a really good attacking uh, situation for Ireland. They were going to drive him out over the side, uh, over the line, have a five meter line out and get back to some sort of semblance of attacking rugby, which we hadn't done in the entire second half or the previous 20 minutes of the first half. So it just seemed to me that was everything that was wrong because he didn't just beat a tackle. He ran up the inside along yeah, the line where, the where he should have been driven out over and I, I don't want to like every anyone can miss a tackle but we're talking about all these little we're talking about all these issues at the rook say and not adapting your game but I think that nothing indicated more of the general malaise of the Ireland team more than that because that's a that's a, just a really massive missed opportunity Japan go up they counter-attack Ireland don't have the ball for another 10 minutes which is what was going on it's like it seems to me and I could be wrong, and maybe it was the heat got to them, and maybe they weren't prepared enough for it. Maybe they didn't think it was going to be as open a contest, and they weren't set up for 80 minutes of rugby in that humidity. But something was missing, and I think that illustrated it most of all. And as you said, how do you turn that around for you know basically what's in two and a half weeks time now in a, in a in a quarterfinal against you know you would say the All Blacks. We'll talk a little bit about Scotland's chances of beating Japan in a couple of minutes, but I you know for me. That's everything about this performance was just that one one missed tackle alone. Yeah, like and to be honest, like you you asked me how do you turn it around? Like you don't. You, you, you in two weeks you absolutely don't. Like and this this was our takeaway at the moment on Saturday. It's my takeaway still after watching the game back a few times. Uh, if Ireland can play any team on their terms, if they get front foot ball, they'll probably win. Like I, I they are absolutely capable of beating South Africa or New Zealand in that one-off in, the, in those circumstances like, and I, I would maintain that that uh, in those circumstances but the, templ- 
the template to beat this team is there now. Like that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Who's going to let you play yeah. on your terms? You're yeah. a very well-worn, very well-known team. Yeah, Everybody so, knows exactly how we play. We talked all the way through the Six Nations on this show that we were hoping our we need we knew during the Six Nations before we even lost to England that Ireland needed to show something new. We couldn't just come out with the same way we played in November that didn't happen and we hoped against hope that we were holding it back for the World Cup in some way and we're critical at the time even saying you can't just turn it on but they don't have any new plan it's just the same old same old and uh, like the reason I think that Joe Schmidt like a lot of people are think, has described it as uncharacteristic that Joe Schmidt has gone on about referees so much over the last kind of two weeks again today actually he was speaking about Gardner before this game kind of weirdly critical of his performance in the Wales game prior to that the reason I think that he's doing that is because Joe Schmidt is absolutely keenly aware that if they come up against a well-disciplined team it's very very hard to break them down and they need to force them into they need to force penalties like that's they need to force they need a referee to be on top of the opposition particularly like and in that scenario actually are what they really need is a referee who's going to be as if you've got somebody who's as anxious about uh, the defending team as we had on Saturday they need the opposite actually they need somebody who's going to be as anxious on an attacking team and kind of policing that aspect of the game and force allow a really strong side defense to force them into errors that's what they're ultimately that's what the game plan is now and like that's just that is their stall and the, you know they basically if you, anybody looking at that game at the weekend will and looking at the last year will say we need to front up in the set piece that really go after them there we can't allow them to win the collision the breaks we need to be. We need to do what they try and do to other teams defensively. So we need to, like, nothing. You're you're being adamant. You're holding them off, letting them go through phases and phases as long as you want. So you're happy that, uh, that they have possession because you're fairly con- confident they won't go anywhere. And that, like that's just that's just the reality right now. So if if you know, I still think that uh, quarterfinal. Uh, Joe Schmidt is a guy who really seems to when he has a lot of time to prepare for games it seems to suit him I don't know if, if tournament rugby like one week after another is a situation that he's necessarily been in a lot before but the fact that he now could have that earmarked but th- that's why this result is so glaring because we still don't know if they're going to play New Zealand or South Africa there's still every chance that they top this pool or that yeah. they come second and that makes that that quarterfinal turnaround they don't have the benefit of what they had coming out of Saturday that's one of the major kind of disappointments of, of what happened at the weekend yeah exactly they just probably thought they could get through it one way or another the one, just going back on one thing you said about you can't turn this around if it was a malaise that came from being caught on the hop of a game that they underestimated I think that can be turned around. I think that's probably what happened to South Africa in 2015. And there is, if it was literally just a, we started off, we thought we had it won at 12-3 and suddenly we were running for our lives and realized that our tanks were empty and we could not. We just spent 60 minutes trying to turn it on and couldn't do it. I think that can change. But I'd be more worried about the, I'd be more worried about the, little technical errors that you've kind of talked about i don't know if i think you should be doing them automatically and you should be reacting to the way a referee is done if you're a professional rugby player a well-coached professional rugby player you should be able to do that automatically i want to ask you about schmidt though because is it fair to say that this is that ireland's performance over the last year there's an in joe we trust sort of you know, element. He has done an amazing job as Ireland coach in general since he's announced that he won't be staying on. Ireland have been a disaster, let's face it. Have it has to be on him that we haven't moved on this much and it has to be on him that, you know, 
we're not adapting to the fact that a referee might do a different if you look at wales against australia we talked on the show a couple of weeks ago about wales only having one style of play and most tackles least points etc etc and they went and won a shootout now they held on but they won a shootout against australia because Gatland is the type of coach that at least will have his team ready to play a different type if it comes up, if it's not being played on their terms. And Ireland haven't been able to do that. And I think that's an indictment to the coach. And I have to, you have to be honest about it. You don't want to be hypercritical for no reason, but it is. Yeah, like, I would agree with you. I, like, I think that, like, I think it's been actually, funnily enough, I think that criticism was there in 2018 too. It's the idea that, um, like, are they expansive enough, basically? Like, like how much of this is... Is safety first rugby and that like that? It's been a maybe it wasn't as deafening then. It was, it was there. You know. It was during the Six Nations. It was done on. I remember on. I don't know if it was TV Three or Virgin Media at the time. Whatever it was, but I remember Matt Williams talking with like hammering Scotland at half time. The uh, which was going to be Ireland's fourth win out of five, and they spent the entire half time talking about how poor Ireland were and how boring they were to watch. Yeah, and like that's why like like <laughs> there's been a. I hated that at the time, just full disclosure. <laughs> <by the way>. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's an idea that oh, that there's, we're too reactive when it comes to this rugby team and that uh, maybe that another idea that they're too soft when you talk about this missing, which, I, like, is actually is a criticism I'd have of society in general now. That I think that because of how in the weeds we are and incapable of grasping any sort of nuance that you can effectively you can find evidence for any sort of viewpoint you want so if you want to for example if you want to say that they've been too soft on Schmidt for the last year or that that criticism wasn't there you can point to the lavish praise that was there uh, after the New Zealand game in 2018 and the uh, how we hailed this Joe Schmidt as the best Irish coach and all this kind of stuff in 2018. Simultaneously, if you want to say that people have been way too critical of Joe Schmidt, I could find loads of evidence of that as well. Like I could back up any viewpoint that you yeah, want. Yeah, I, I, yeah. let's not get into that nonsense like, because that is just a, that's a viewpoint. It, it's, it's basically a propaganda device at this stage that's put out exactly uh, like, during rugby season and ru- rugby matches that is then jumped on by a lot of people who don't think about it too much. And it becomes this narrative. And I couldn't be arsed getting into it because it's nonsense. And also it's nonsense to talk about the fact that no games other than... If Ireland lose a game between World Cups, it's disaster and they're terrible and everybody's... But also if they win a game, it doesn't matter because it's not the World Cup. All of those things are nonsense narratives that I don't think people who actually care about the game and watch the game actually believe at all. Reality is way more complex than that. So he has always had criticism and he's also had praise. And he's, he's absolutely been right to have both of them. And I'm not saying that he's beyond criticism. I'm just saying that we're at the stage now where he might be the... We we have to at least consider, and we've got a few weeks to go, and there's no point in being knee-jerk, but we have to consider that his leadership has kind of let this team down a little bit at a, at a massive opportunity. We will never, if we live to be 100, Morris, we'll never have an easier World Cup pool, <laughs> yeah. you know? We really won't, you know, and I know Japan are the, are the host and they're, they're not the easiest tier three, you know, team to be having or, or ranked seeded three team to have. But I'm sorry, but Scotland are one of the worst seeded two teams ever. We're seeded one, etc., etc. This is such an easy group and we're going to struggle now and we'll probably more than likely have to go and play the All Blacks in the quarterfinal where we shouldn't have had to. And I, yeah, I would agree with all of that. And I, uh, <coughs> it's, it's funny that you say that. Like, that's I, I, ultimately, I think that, you know, that's why... 
like these failings were obvious beforehand we could also see how they would be worked out and i just still like both scenarios are plausible but like ultimately like you you are absolutely right to be critical of what happened at the weekend i actually think that you, you also um there's a huge grounds for criticism of schmidt's selection nice selection policy not only this time around but during six nations i don't know if there was enough real experimentation um like i think you can say how do you plan for the fact that you need to play your third choice out half, but I think it was pretty obvious that uh, sex and fitness was always going to be a concern, and Joy Carberry wasn't given the same exposure either. So, like, I, I I do think that there was. I remember we were we sat here during the Six Nations, and I said that I made the case that Robbie Henshaw needs to be tried at fullback again, kind of like. Ha- only half serious really but the, what I was really getting at was the fact that somebody needs to be tried at fullback other than Rob Carney because there could come a scenario in a World Cup quarterfinal when you don't have Rob Carney and you're talking about throwing somebody in inexperienced and that sh- you should have planned for that like that is so if you should have planned for it I think you should have actually planned for the fact that if you've got a six day turnaround in horrendous humidity and conditions we picked a team here last week we made five changes, three were into the pack. I think you can't select the same pack in a six-day turnaround in eight days and a 37-year-old at hooker. Like it just does, I did, at the time, we raised questions and marks about it. Afterwards, I think it looks even more glaring. So they're all justifiable criticisms of this team. And, and I guess the benefit from their own perspective of tournament rugby is they didn't have a chance to remedy for that. Like They seem to take a huge amount. The, the criticism they got prior to the Scotland game was referenced a lot after it. Now it's it's twice-fold, and you would hope that this, a similar backlash is, is coming over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, well, hopefully it's not just against Russia and they go out and beat them by 60 points, <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. it's not. And then, you know, it's like, oh, let's go and you know, like turgidly go through Samoa and win by bare minimum and, you know, oh, we're going in with lots of momentum. We've had two wins. <laughs> you know, because the, the, the backlash needs to be in the quarterfinal, I suppose, is, is my point. The team that what is named for Thursdays, uh, so again, and this is a five-day turnaround, and look, it is Russia, and Ireland are going to win no matter what, and I suppose we need to come out unscathed, and I suppose with a little bit of confidence, I suppose, is the best that can happen. Seven changes to the pack. It's an all-Munster front five, actually, which is interesting. I don't think you... So it's early 2000s, I'd imagine, since we've seen this, uh, of Kilcoyne, Scannell, John Ryan, uh, Tyke Byrne and Jean, Jean Klein, uh, then a back row of Reese Ruddock, Jordy Murphy straight off the plane. I, there's a part of me that doesn't envy him that. Like, he'll be raring to go, he'd be delighted, but my God, I hope he's not jet lagged or, you know, not adjusted to the heat or anything. And Peter O'Matney at seven. What do you reckon? What do you make of that? He's, he'll have started all three games, and we'll talk about ring rows in a minute, which is a bigger issue, but he hasn't. He only played 20 minutes the first day, but 50 the, um, the last day. But he's still there every week. He's still playing after five, four days rest. Yeah, like I think I, I, I wouldn't, I, I, I wouldn't raise too much question marks of that. Like as you had mentioned there, I think he's. I, when I look, went back and looked at it, I think he's only played like eighty combined minutes of rugby, which um, like isn't too bad. You mean <laughs> to go back to what we just said a second ago? That's what Roy Best logged within a week. Um, so, <laughs> so I, I certainly wouldn't be clear. The one that I would uh, kind of raise question marks about is Rob Carney. Like if he did fail a HIA one, I know you can pass your HIA2 or, uh, after that as well but if that is true uh, I don't understand why you'd take that risk against in, Russia in five days yeah it's so Car- so O'Malley did that last week and pro- didn't play well let's face it like so whether that's anything to do with it or not he didn't play Bundiaki but he was fit to go from Thursday but you know the match wasn't until Saturday and so especially like there was you know the Robbie Henshaw scenario now is starting to become an issue when you're carrying a guy for what is now going to be three games and he's not fit to play and yeah. this was something that when an issue was flagged 
when this was leaked before Irish rugby confirmed it, it was that he was out for the tournament. That was definitely the narrative. They came out and suggested that he might only miss the first game. That it, mm-hmm. it was a hamstring strain. Now we patently know that's not the case because he's not even in the squad again for what is now going to be a third week and that be- starts to become an issue when you start to put a strain on a guy like Gary Ringo's who's going to start again this week yeah. Chris Farrell obviously actually failed his uh, his HA so he's not allowed to be involved this weekend but at the same time you do have somebody like Jordan Armour sitting on the bench and I don't understand why does if Rob, if that is true about Rob Carney by the way do, like, is it that pressing that he needs minutes I think what is colouring a lot of this is something that we talked about kind of jokingly last week but uh Samoa will go out to smash Ireland regardless of what happens. And I think that if you are going to try and get minutes under the belt of uh, a Rob Carney or a Johnny Sexton, I think it's against Russia that you want to do it and you want to try and wrap them in cotton wool for what will come down the tracks in that final game. Yeah. Yeah. So the back, like, the, it's incredibly strong back team, back line for what it's Luke McGrath, really the only kind of non first choice. Maybe like Andrew Conway is as well as in Stockdale will start, but Conway is, is in cracking it must form, be close yeah. enough to the, to the team at the moment. So it's McGrath, Sexton, Bundiaki coming back in, Ring Rose for a third game in a row, Earls, Carney, and Conway. Now, one thing I did take in, 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 the Henshaw scenario was that ring row starting again might mean that now one they might not have anybody else if Chris Farrell's not there but again you could probably put in Jordan Larmer at 13 against Russia it's not the end of the world it does make me wonder if ring Rose might be ready to go for Samoa and maybe they're looking at that if that was the case I'd like to see him there's 12 days in between these games or something like that maybe 11 I'd like to see 10 days sorry I'd like to see him uh, maybe on the bench and getting 20 minutes this week yeah, yeah exactly sorry yeah uh, who was I saying Ring Rose <laughs> but Ring Rose like he's played every minute so far I know, you yeah. know and it is five days after a bloody horrible test match where Ireland were out on their feet. Like, it's not like as if it was a, a nothing game. That's going to take a week's recovery, you know? And it's just a needless risk, isn't it, really? And, like, look, like ultimately, the if you were to ask me what you want to get out of this exercise, I think it's a bonus point win and no injuries. And I just think that if... Uh, and, I mean, it's the same actually goes for the small game, really. I mean, that's it's just... You're, I don't know if we'll read anything into either performance. I... To be honest, uh, speaking before both of them, I don't know if we, we should. So, like, the, <laughs> yeah. like, ultimately, I think that those—that's what should be the the purpose of these exercises. And if they are to try and get, like we mentioned at the time, it would be a very weird scenario if Johnny Sexton arrived into a quarter final having only played fifty five minutes of rugby in the tournament. Like, yeah. uh, so the fact that he will get minutes this weekend is encouraging, actually. And yeah. um, you just hope that the same. Uh, by the way, I think the same thing applies for Rob Carney. There is a certain amount of uneasiness to see him play again, but maybe that's just the purpose, and that they'll be. Uh, to get rugby put on the yeah. shelf before it's the small game yeah absolutely uh, Samoa does definitely worry me I mean they're just a big team from what we've seen so very far, little yeah. skill they were awful against Scotland like you know didn't score did Scotland show you enough that you would think that they like you know maybe like them kind of a big win to nil is definitely no harm for us in terms of them getting their kind of mojo a little bit back they'll definitely think they can beat Japan they thought they could win the World Cup I know so yeah. like they definitely will confidence won't be an issue for Scotland and I, I think Scotland will approach the Japan game in the way that Ireland should have in terms yeah. of they'll try and attack like there's all, everything I mentioned there they're going to try and attack more I think if Finn Russell or Schulhag goes to the boot like the, the stuff that they should have learned from their Ireland game was how they were punished by aimless kicking like and if if any team are going to punish you for doing that more even more so than Ireland will actually Japan will so that's like the it'll be interesting to see how Scotland turn up because all the signs point to that Scotland should be primed for that game and that they, they should but 
this is Scotland and I don't think you can get away from that and I think that despite that like some of what they did against Ireland defied logic I don't think there was enough to be that impressed about against Samoa they salvaged no it. of course not um, no. so I like ultimately yeah like that it's you know this is a great chance for them and if effectively you know a chance to go out and make put a statement to win but they've had chances to make statements before and we've seen how that's gone we're going to go to James Collin in a few minutes and look we'll be back and we'll see how Ireland get on on Thursday we'll be back next Tuesday kind of with you know a general conversation about what's going on before we get to James though the rest of the World Cup uh, I really enjoyed Wales and Australia I think it was a game morning it was fantastic game I thought that I thought the referee like well, I don't need to get into it but it just really really annoyed me that Wales were able to waste basically the last 15 minutes of the game because of infringements that weren't really punished even if they were penalty advantages because they were just time wasting the referee could have nailed could have given a penalty try five minutes before could have given a yellow card six or seven minutes before then Wales like in like 2007 rugby over again we're like spending an hour and a half at the scrum clearly they were at fault for it the referee refused to blame them and decided and was more blaming Australia really uh, just lots of things like that that is fair play to Wales I wouldn't be in one bit critical of them or Gatland for, for, for doing it but I don't understand how referees can show common sense in this regard but I thought outside of all that it was a really really high quality good game both teams were good and that's the best part about it was like Wales showed more than they've shown in a while in terms of attacking rugby and Australia when they did eventually decide to start playing and getting back into it were the Australia of four years ago more than of 12 months ago yeah absolutely like uh, j- just very very quickly I don't want you to respond to this but just like that, I think that's actually something that World Rugby might need to have a look at from the moment Keith Earls made that you know, the last this tackle the chase down tackle which he ended up knocking on and became a scrum three minutes were wasted before that scrum was finally fed and without two scrums went down at the time like, I, I just think whether it's be the policing of the clock or it, when it's very obvious that one team it's in one team's interest to infringe here or to at least to delay and mm. that it's gone wrong two times here and it's been very slow to set up maybe a referee should be a bit more conscious of that but anyway look oh, they definitely should have and the, the Wales game is like a huge like he was telling the hookers they were too close to each other and you could see the Wales hooker taking the step forward <laughs> you know it's like it, it was obvious what Wales were doing and a referee shouldn't be as detached from the scenario of the game to not realise that like. but Wales actually like all the stuff that you would accuse Ireland of Wales have actually I wonder about the influence that Stephen Jones has had on their attack funnily enough like the journalist like like, <laughs> <laughs> like um but just because since his arrival they're doing things that they didn't definitely haven't shown signs of over the last nine months particularly in attack and the way that they've used width and channels I think their defensive line the fact that they seem to identify that there's like there's a lot of scope for interceptions in Australia that didn't tend to pass the ball around and you saw uh, Davies how he like he definitely wasn't offside I don't know where that idea is coming from but uh, he absolutely wasn't offside it was a brilliant read Um, and all that stuff like that all stuff is it's all the stuff that you would love to be praising Ireland for just a little bit of adaptability a little bit of uh, game in-game intelligence again going back to how they managed the last 15 minutes there was exactly how you would I mean you could we'll criticise it Absolutely, but it's also exactly what you would hope to see at elite level teams do. So all that stuff, I think, is is, is encouraging. That was definitely the the game of the tournament. Um, and as you said, I think that to see Australia back to playing that style of rugby is is great. Actually, to be honest, because when they're like uh, they're one of the most enjoyable t- have been for years. 
Test Nations when they're at their best like when they when they play well they're terrific I think their back row is the best in the tournament right now yeah. um, all that stuff is, is really really encouraging and I think that that, that is like I hope we see more of that style of rugby. I, I've, I don't know. We'll see what James thinks of it. There's certain elements of the tournament that I don't think have been as up to standard as much, but that was definitely, for me anyway, that was the, the game of the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Well, other than, like, I mean, it, it was the, in some ways it was only the third game of the tournament as well, or fourth game, sorry. I yeah. <laughs> forgot about Scotland and Ireland there for a second, but, you know, it was really only the fourth proper proper game of the tournament so far so we still have a lot more to see to see how trends go but that was definitely encouraging um we will get to james now just a reminder though that we will be back uh to talk more about ireland later on this week myself and mark will be talking to stephen ferris on the build-up podcast uh this week on um on thursday morning before the game uh we will also uh, look ahead obviously to bigger bigger games outside of ireland in the world cup we'll also have brent pope on thursday after uh after the Ireland match to discuss everything that's going on um, there and how Ireland got on and whether there's any salvation at all. But you were speaking to the brand new Provence forwards coach, James Collin. Yeah. Um, so James obviously is actually over in France right now. Um, very luckily over in France, given the weather we're having here. Um, <laughs> but just, I caught up with James because as I mentioned earlier, I think what coaches do during tournament rugby is, is very interesting. And obviously we haven't caught up with him since he, he, he took the show. So I started by asking him about that, about how this kind of new job came about. All right, I'm delighted to say now we're joining the line by James Cocken. James, how's the form? Not too bad at all. Enjoying the sunshine at the moment. Not like yourself at home. With the- no, not at all. Um, <laughs> come here uh, last time we spoke to you we haven't actually spoken to you since you've got a new job yeah. with, with, with Provence can, can you talk to us a about how that yeah. came about um, well, basically um, obviously I said to yourselves when we were talking that I was looking to get into, into professional coaching set up um, obviously being in with the, the academy um, I think the goal for any academy coach eventually is to pass into the, 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 the first team um, and uh, yeah, the opportunity came about uh, down here in province. So um, happily, um, things have uh, things have gone really well. For first, um, we played seven games, uh, two friendlies, and um, and the five first the first uh, first five um, games of the forty two, and uh, we're in fourth. So it's going it's going very well at the moment. Thank God. Yeah, last time we spoke to you, you were talking about the, how your role also encompassed the idea of developing players and that when you're dealing with yeah. those kind of younger players. And I imagine it's kind of been a bit of a shift when you're a bit more results-focused in the role that you're in now. Yeah, I think it's a combination of the two. You're still trying to develop the players, but it's, it's a lot more um, weekend-focused in what you're doing. So... Um, for me, uh, it's a two-man show here. We've got uh, Fabian Siray, who's the, the manager, and I'm the forward coach, defence coach, uh, line scrum, and uh, exit. So there's a lot of work to do. So trying to find time then to actually do our skills and stuff with the lads, it's, it's difficult. But we, we've programmed in a, a thing called Development Rugby. So we uh, identify areas that the lads need to... Um, need to improve and then when we uh, after wait we'll have a development rugby squad, a slot for them and then we'll go into the, the, the small smaller bits in their games to, to develop on for the bigger things because during the, the pitch sessions it's very difficult to find the time to actually try and sit down and do coaching with people so we'll, 
we, we prefer to do the coaching after weight, um, do individual skill sessions with the kickers, do individual skill like, skill session with the hookers, at the, with the uh, line of jumpers, with the line of callers, and then they give them the best opportunity to do the, the coaching that they need. But once we attack the, the pitch sessions, we don't have a lot of time for coaching. So it's kind of just trying to figure best program the week for for you're able to develop the players but you're also able to be a lot more results focused in what the in the pitch sessions that you're doing so that's, that's how we've attacked it here anyway well is that um is that all-encompassing role like you see a lot of in rugby especially kind of specialist coaches whether that be kind of skills or defense, yeah and the fact that you're kind of a bit more all-encompassing i imagine is a lot more demanding yeah it, it's um a lot of time in front of the video. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, so like the day starts at six and it finishes at half a six. So that, that's pretty much where we're at, you know. Um, you have to, um, for me, to watch a lot of it, uh, the opposition attack. Um, and luckily the lineups and the set piece is a big part of pretty much everyone's attack. Um, so at the same time you're watching it with one eye on regards to the forwards and one eye then in regards to the sense in, in general um, and um, yeah just trying to be as uh, effective and uh, and uh, efficient as possible in everything that you do so that you know that okay well look if we're doing defence today that we can do the, the exit strategy at the same time and then we can do our line of defence at the same time so that you're you're more fo- focused in in um, in the defense side of things, and then when it's attack days, that you do your attack and you do your line out attack, and you're set up for the weekends and your different setups, and then uh, mixing it in then with the the, the scrums and um, and and player development, as I said. So yeah, there's a lot of work, but um, it's, it's a great experience for me in the sense that. Um, like the progression is always, as I said to you, when I was in the CDF, it's uh, okay. Well, I'm, you know, your forwards coach, the next step is managers. It gives you an expi- a, a chance to to to, uh, to experience a lot more than just being specific in one specific post. Um, so yeah, it, it's been really good. It's been really good. And are you always on when it comes to rugby? Like, I'm wondering, for somebody who obviously is spending so much time in front of the video and putting those hours mm-hmm. in, it must be hard to sit down and watch the World Cup just as a, as a spectator. Like, you must be ticking different bits and pieces when you are watching whatever game it is. That uh, do, yeah, 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 there's always things you kind of look at and you're kind of, oh, God, that line is good or that, that attack that piece is good. Yeah. Um, but the World Cup is good in the sense that you can just sit down and watch the game. You know what I mean? That you're not actually analysing it, going who's going where, where's their hooker going, where's their the scrum half, what's he doing after this and that. But um, I'm a, I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit disappointed with the attack in the World Cup at the moment. I I, I, I sent out a, oh, I was tweeted. I watched the All Black South Africa game and I think the opening weekend. I just found that it's just one out runners all day long. I think there's very little invention in. in um, specifically in attack because the defences are so good and I think the SNC lads have all done their job because I think anybody who's watching can see the intensity and the the speed of the game is incredible so you know hats off to the SNC I just find that the attack is a bit sterile I thought the best match of the, of the whole the whole tournament that has been has been the way of the Australia game I thought that it was, it was a, just a really good game I thought the attack the Welsh attack who normally you'd say would be their defence would be their strong point. Like you're seeing Alan Wynne-Jones and 
and Bell in, in outside in the 15, giving good passes and fixing good defenders and giving passes. So it's good to see that, that you know, there is a place where I think Stephen Jones has obviously had an impact when he came into the wide setup because you can see that, they, you know, there's a lot like the connect the attack that won a league, you know. So I think it's, um, I got to a league final. You know, there's a lot to be, not to be taken out of it, but the other side of the thing is that you know I'm I scratch my head going what has it been doing for the last four years in regards to in regards to trying to get a, a bit more invention in the game. I just don't see a whole lot of uh, you know in everyone's game. It's not just uh, Ireland or anybody else. It's just to find that they, okay, we'll do two phases. And if we don't do win the the game line, we'll just uh, we'll stick up a, a box kick or a high kick and chase it down from there. You know. It's really interesting you say that because after the last World Cup, I think the the trend line, if you want to call it that, there was this expectation that yeah. all these teams would become a bit more expansive because I, I remember yeah. there was a, this obsession with three tries. And if anything, it went the other way. Like there was this real obsession and refinement with like 14 men into defensive yeah. lines and, and coaches kind of yeah. developed that. Just from your own perspective, if we can elaborate on that a small bit, what would you like to see teams react to, especially now you see the line speed that a lot of teams are bringing, maybe not necessarily Ireland at the yeah. weekends, but like, what would you hope to see teams react in, in those circumstances? Uh, I think it's it's just that. It's the, the invention in an, in an attack setup because the, the, the line out in the scrum is one time that the teams don't know exactly what you do. I think after two, three phases, everyone kind of reverts into their system, whether it's a 2 4 two or a one three three one. In, in regards to the spread of the forwards is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about 4-2, is that you have four in the middle of the park and then you have two in the, the width, or that you have one, four, one uh, back row out wide and you have one, one back row out wide on both sides and you have three little cell user three uh, with the forwards attacking off nine or attacking off ten. I, I think that they're all, everybody can defend those because after three phases that you you kind of revert into what you know and that you'll have, like you can see the width, Wales were very well briefed and when Australia go to width, they come back with a big wide pass from 9-10, you started the try then and the intercept from the Welsh 9, uh, that's because he's been really well coaching in what they're doing in defensively. It's just that once-off attack that you get, get a shot to actually go, okay, well we can do something here that they don't know what we're going to do at whether it's sending two forwards into the and then playing out the back of them or having a good depth with a, you know, I think it was like when it was Drico and, and, and uh, Darcy in the middle of the park with Sexton when Joe was in charge of Leinster, there was always something that you didn't really know was coming. The problem for me at the moment is just that we we seem to be in all the games, not just Ireland, but I think in in general, the we just okay. Well, we'll we'll send up our twelve. We'll send a group of forwards around the corner. And if we don't get front football, okay, we'll, we'll just stick up a Gary Young. We we'll win the bat the bat in the air, and then we'll keep them under pressure. And that's that's in pretty much all the games I've seen. It's it's been it's been that. As I said, I thought Wales were really good in attack, but outside of that, there, there hasn't been a lot. But the scream off the page for me, they go, "Oh my god, that was a brilliant match!" You know. So um, yeah, I, I think it's everyone is a lot more professional you get lots of time to, to see uh, everyone, everyone defensively in attack you, you can review you can do what you want but I just thought they might hold something back you know in those build up games you're thinking okay well they're going to hold something back for especially you know line out for five man line out six man line out four man line out three man line out okay well, and then we'll do something out the back of it but it just doesn't seem to be that creative creativity in, 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 the, in the game at the moment I don't know why but that's just 
it just strikes me that Wizards it's all a bit sorry. And if we progress that on slightly towards Ireland, I think a lot of people looking in hindsight at the Japan game would have kind of pointed out their passive defence. And I like I can't get over the amount of times Japan seems to be able to get five passes off a rook, for example. But on the yeah. other side of the ball, on the other side of the ball, there hasn't necessarily been as much focus. If, if anything, there's been kind of this this idea that maybe Ireland were too ambitious, that they're trying offloads that they didn't need to try. Like, what was your own analysis of, of what they did on, on Saturday? I, I thought Japan were excellent. I thought, you know, when they took the space that Ireland gave them. So when I say that, like if we were in doing, you know, they, we were, there was a couple of times where we had scrums and lineups in there, or Japan had scrums and lineups in there, 22. Ireland brought back the two wingers and played with three up. And 10, 12, 13 were up. And then it was Japan said, well, okay, we'll, we'll take the space on the width then. Um, and we play with our hands and we, we play out that way and then when the, the winger comes up if we need to we'll stick the ball in behind you and then we'll put pressure on you with our kick chase I think that I think Ireland are very programmed what they're doing well if we're in the 22 it's a, a five man line out okay we're doing this and then we'll send up the two forwards and then we'll kick uh, Conor Murray put out the box kick and you'll have Conway or Urs or, or um, Larmore or it doesn't matter who we'll, we'll try and win the high ball and then we'll, we'll play off the, the broken the scraps after that, but that just seems to be Ireland's game plan. That's what they're sticking to, and and that's great if you get front football. The problem is, is if you don't get front football, and I think the problem was at the weekend that Japan just met Ireland every time at the game line. They cut the legs from underneath them, and uh, they just kept, kept coming forward, kept coming forward, kept coming forward, and we just didn't have a solution. That, you know, we weren't deep enough in our attack. Um, we didn't at any stage look like we were going to do three, four passes consecutively without without having somebody make a massive hit. Um, I think a couple of times when they got to the width, uh, Carthy, uh, I think in a ring rose down the short side with a, uh, a loop for Carthy coming around, I think that they looked dangerous, but the problem was is that they just didn't do enough of it. And it's very easy to defend if you know exactly what they're going to do. I think that's that's what it seemed like at the weekend. Japan just knew what Ireland were going to do and they just kept coming up and keep smashing them up there behind the game line. <laughs> Can I ask you as a as a coach, like I'm just looking at this from an Irish perspective, and you know the one thing yeah. that we t- we spoke about a lot with Ireland is these kind of these sensational strike plays that Joe Schmidt seems yeah. to develop a, and program for coach, which is yeah. obviously you know that's incorporated in what you're talking about off you know your platforms yeah. offline and stuff like that. But uh, as a coach, are you looking to develop those kind of that strike plays, those kind of systems, or is there in-game intelligence that you can work on that might like prove that Ireland could maybe try and adapt to what Japan were doing or maybe try and change up yeah. in game like it, I'm not saying you know I, I understand it might be a bit more complex than plan A plan B but is there things that you can kind of prioritise as a coach to develop their ability to maybe change it up mid game I'm talking about here I think mid game it's very hard to change you have your game plan in place and your plan A your plan B your plan C sometimes I think um, and a game like just against Japan we just needed to have more patience in okay. the sense that when I say patience I mean that okay well this isn't working okay well we'll put a foot in the ball we'll, we'll, we'll just kick from first phase we'll put the ball behind and we'll get a good kick chase line and put Japan under pressure but we just seem to want to keep the ball 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 and Japan were happy for us to have it um, the, you know the, there's there's a lot of ways you know, the, the cliche, there's plenty of ways to skin a cat, but the, the way we just needed to find it, the way, okay, the, well, the wingers aren't great on the high ball. Okay, well, what we'll do is we'll put one high ball up on them, we'll come up hard, and then we'll defend. And we'll defend for a couple of phases, we'll leave them there and see what they do. And and the problem was is that Japan were, were more intelligent than we were, I found, that that they just left left us have the ball because they, they felt that if we can defend for three, four, five phases, 
we'll get the ball back and then we'll have space on the width because Ireland will keep their, their wingers back. I, I, I Like for in-game management, that's where you need your nine, your ten, your eight, your your hooker to, to to put their hand up and go, okay, well, look, this is working. Maybe if we do a couple of malls, pick and goals in around the corners, we try and um, tighten up the defence and then we'll play with a bit of width after it. Or we'll play, we'll play with more width at the start and then... When we if they if they come up really hard, we'll just put little kicks in over their heads and get them to turn, get them to turn and try and search the ball behind them. It just there didn't seem to be that kind of okay. Well, what are they doing? What, what okay? Well, they're doing this. Well, we'll, we'll need to change a bit and, and figure it out. But there just didn't seem to be. We'll stick with the the hammer, and if the hammer doesn't work, we'll go back and hit it again and hit it again and hit it again. It just didn't. I, and to be fair to Japan, they didn't crack. So. Um, you know, there's plenty. Uh, I think CJ. I saw, I saw CJ with, with uh, Willie Bennett yesterday, and with CJ was he was right in what he said in that there's lots of learnings when there isn't a lot of time for learnings. So when they take over the game, when they go back and do the review of the game, they'll see. Well, we, we didn't adapt to what the Japanese were doing, so we, that's something we need to develop and need to move on from. You know, so I think that they, they'll be well briefed in what's coming down the line. You know, then they're looking at probably looking at the All Blacks if they get out of there, out of the group. Um, with two ten points, but there's no guarantee of that either. With Scotland, because Scotland could very well take ten points out of the next two games. You you just don't know. So it's going to be difficult to 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 see what happens from here. You know. Yeah, the final thing I was going to ask you actually on that idea, right? Like the, I think there's this common maybe it's a misconception that all coaches will react to whatever happens in a World Cup. That'll dictate trends moving forward. But it yeah. sounds like if if you've got the ability to look at this and maybe be a bit more critical of attacking shape, you might not let, let anything that happens at this World Cup influence your own kind of coaching philosophy. I think coaching philosophy is something it's personal. It's something that you you have an idea in your head or how you think rugby should be played, and then. You know, you take your influences from, like, as a coach, you take your influ- uh, as a former player who's moved into coaches, you try and pick and choose the best bits of everybody that you've passed by, whether it's been really good experiences or whether it's really bad experience. And you try and, oh, okay, well, that I found really good, that didn't find so good, that I found good, that I didn't find so good. Uh, and you certainly have things that you, okay, well, 100%, that's not what I'm doing, and 100%, maybe that's what I am doing. So I think it's... Um, it's like in any job. The more experience you get, the better you get at it. You know, and expertise is the, is what is is it's just experience and and knowledge. You know, that's what expertise is. Is just having a bit of experience and a bit of knowledge behind it that will give you give you um, give you an idea of what you're you're looking to do going forward. So, like for me, from a defensive point of view, you know, you look at ways, you look at how the All Blacks defend. Okay, well, that's how they defend. What can we do that would be similar to that? Because uh, obviously, when you come down the levels, you don't have the same players. You don't have the same quality of player, and that you need to be able to adapt to the quality of player you have as well. And, um, and that's the difference between international rugby and club rugby. I think is the international he, he pick and he can pick who he wants to, to fit into his philosophy. Whereas a lot of club coaches need to to change their philo- philosophy in, in regards to the players that they have. You know, so the, there's a con- that's why international and club rugby they don't. Need, they're not hand in hand if you if you if you know what I mean, Morris. Yeah, yeah, of course. 
so the final thing I was going to ask you then is that ba- based off that idea, I suppose, like, is it from from your own perspective, is it nearly more enjoyable to have the the kind of the leeway at at club rugby? I know you don't have uh, necessarily the experience of, of coaching at, at international rugby, but the yeah. fact that like you you might have more kind of chances to impose that philosophy, more certainly more chances to expose yourself to players anyway. That that might give you a, a lot more control as a coach. You give you it gives you more experience in regards to the time that you do get to, if if you get to an international level okay. that you know how you how you're going to react at that time I think I think if you talk to to, to, to just take the example of Joe Smith you know he was at Claremont he was at Leinster um, you know they, they, he's been exposed to different environments different ways of doing things and then he's he, he's able to figure out well this is how I want to be a coach you look at Eddie Jones in Australia South Africa uh, different clubs and always with England with Japan he's, you know that's where where the expertise is coming in because he's got a lot of experience a lot of different ideas a lot of different experience in regards to the knowledge of, of players knowledge of, of, of countries as well because that's the thing about international coaches that you need to know what the, the, the culture is as well um, whether you're with Australia their culture is one thing whether you're with the All uh, is another thing whether you're with Ireland whether you're with France the culture is is a big part of it and that, you know, you need to embrace that but you need to also have your own philosophy set in stone that no matter what happens that that's what you're going to do and I think that's where the vast majority of international coaches will come come from that point of view is that, okay, well, I've experienced this at club, I know what this is like, uh, I know what it's like to have different environments and different types of players So this is how I find rugby should be played and this is what I'm going to do with the players that I can choose from from in, in in our country, so that's I think that's the difference between um, uh, international club because club as well, as well if the, you have the constraints of budget, you have your salaries, you you've okay, well I, I might be able to take him, and, and then you've G rules in France in regards to okay, well I need French qualified players and I need this, so there's there's lots of different uh, intricacies that would be completely that are are you know co- international coaches and and club coaches won't have the same experience, and I'm sure if you spoke to Raj. No, he's in La Rochelle, you know, that is experience in racing, experience in Canterbury, and now he's in La Rochelle, you know, that would all add into where he thinks he's going to be when he becomes an international coach or if he becomes an international coach. It's the same for all of us, where, you know, I've gone from CDF into a, a pro team and now I'm looking to, to push on with a, this pro team to get into another pro team and top 14 team. And, you know, that, that if you haven't got that ambition in yourself, then that, you, you know, you, you need to have that ambition in yourself before you can pass it on to players as well, you know. That's, that's fascinating. James, I really appreciate you taking the call today. No problem, Mars. I'll talk to you. God bless. Take care. James Collin there, new uh, forwards coach and lots of other coaches. As you said yourself, in charge of a lot of things at uh, Provence. Um, always one of our favourite uh, people to speak to. Just um, I just love the accent even, Morris, you know. Uh, but uh, a, a real popular uh, rugby guy, not just in Munster. Yeah, and kind of like interesting to see like some sort of critical thinking about um, the attacking shape that we've seen at this World Cup and the fact that there doesn't seem to be as much creativity as, as you'd like to see kind of across the board but like and we didn't get into that there but I do think that the teams who do demonstrate that that creativity are still being rewarded which at least is some sort of saving grace for that like we talked about this on Saturday but the the fact that you've seen New Zealand kind of try and be a bit more with their attacking kicking in South Africa or that kind of stuff like ultimately if you if you are if you do demonstrate that sort of injury or creativity you will get the reward for it still like that principle still remains which uh, I think is is crucial really yeah Ireland not being one of those teams unfortunately <laughs> at least yet uh, as I said 
Um, myself and Morris will be back with you next Tuesday to to kind of look ahead to the Samoa game, and we'll know a little bit more about Ireland's um, scenario, I suppose. Then. Um, as well and we'll talk about everything else that's going on in the world of rugby uh, as well we will be back on Thursday morning with the Build Up podcast we'll talk to Stephen Ferris on that a little bit about Ireland it'll be out of date pretty quickly because uh, we're playing Russia at 11.15 but we'll also we'll talk there's obviously a lot more to talk about than the Russia game and even just about Ireland and we'll have Brent Pope on uh, on Thursday on the Brent Pope Rugby World Cup podcast uh, where he'll be in studio with us uh, reflecting on Ireland and Russia lots more of uh, besides on the balls of the podcast feed we'll have the football show later today and lots more besides um but until next tuesday when myself and morris will be back with you oh i won't be actually morris i'm on holidays next week i've decided to take a, a between the thursday I'm, I'm finishing on thursday and then i'm i'm gonna miss the samoa game but back monday it was a really well planned kind of lull in the rugby world cup holiday so i think you'll probably get pj in and uh and do a much better podcast. Hopefully be a bit more upbeat anyway, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. Well, uh, Morris will talk to you next Tuesday. Take it easy.